Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 51. Um, this week, it is myself, Gladys, and Mark. Um, Sarah is actually busy with some, some work stuff. And we also have a special guest. We have Thomas Weiss, who's here to talk to us about some of the changes in Cosmos DB security since last time he was on the podcast, which is uh, June 2020. Yes, we've been going nearly two years. In fact, the next episode will be episode 52, and that'll be, be two years. Before we get to the news, though, I want to tell you a little story. It's actually a really cute little sort of heartwarming story. So my, my mother-in-law is actually in assisted living, and my niece is actually in the same, same facility, but she's d- doing the books. And uh, there's a gentleman in there by the name of Mark, and he suffers from a debilitating disease called Huntington's disease, uh, which honestly I'd actually never heard of until, until they said this little story. And uh, Mark's in his, uh, in his 50s, um, but the, the thing with Hunt- Huntington's is it leaves you relatively motionless and talking becomes restricted as well. My niece found out that Mark was actually in cybersecurity at one point, and she uh, called my wife, and she said, hey, what's the name of Uncle Michael's podcast? And my wife gave her the name after asking me, because of course she had no idea what the name of the podcast was. And uh, so my, my niece found the podcast on, on Spotify on her phone, and she put the phone next to Mark. And Mark started smiling and, and, and nodding his head as he was listening to this. Big shout out to Mark. Thank you for listening. Um, and we, you know, we hope it brings you uh, some joy. I was really kind of heartwarmed when I heard that story. So with that little uh, episode out of the way, let's turn our attention to the news. Uh, why don't we kick things off with, uh, with Mark? Yeah, and a uh, shout out to the other Mark too. So doing my best to, to follow that. One of the things that I've been sort of waiting for for uh, a little while um, has uh, finally released. Um, so there is a new um, release, the revision 4 of the 800-40 from NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And this is uh, NIST's guidance focused on enterprise patch management. Uh, this really, um, this work and the, the, the conversations for it kind of started around the time just after the Patia, not Patia type of attacks. And so, you know, went through the government process to get a um, sort of a um, uh, NCCOE project, a National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence project around patch management. And do we need to revisit the the higher level guidance as well that uh, that you know kind of guides that work? And so the uh, the two documents, the uh, 800-40, which is sort of the overall guidance, including the scenarios that were tested in the lab. And um, and the uh, and then the lab document itself and the results from a bunch of vendors came into the NIST labs and kind of helped you know take the current best practices, current knowledge, and implement it and kind of show how to implement it um, using their technology. And so um, these two documents both came out recently. And then one of the nice things that's that's in there is, you know, it didn't really you know treat enterprise patch management patch management as just an isolated thing. Um, it's actually sort of a normal part of how do you do maintenance, just like you'd, you know, to you can communicate with a business leader like, hey, this is just like, you know, changing the oil and otherwise maintaining your fleet of trucks or planes or whatever. You need a little downtime. You need to do some maintenance on it. And so a nice focus on sort of the end-to-end view of patching, not just a, a technical practice, as well as uh, some linkage to zero trust and how it fits into a zero trust concept uh, and context, rather. And so uh, really, really liking that document that, uh, that came out there. So we'll uh, send you the links for both of those. And that's what I got for this week. So that sh- shout out for Mark as well. 
Um, and I have uh, three news that I want to share. Um, we actually just released a few days ago, actually, a few articles that uh, talk about how Microsoft uh, perform uh, tasks in order to help with the sea looter campaign. Uh, one of the articles was uh, named Dismantling Sea Loader, how malicious ad led uh, to disabling uh, security uh, tools and ransomware. I, I love this article because it's, it's a perfect example of how the partnership that Microsoft is uh, offering, not only to customers, but overall uh, to the security community. We are following our uh, mission, right, to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. So not only we have a commitment to keep improving our capabilities within uh, our tools uh, to deal with new threats and risks, which uh, help our customer to protect, detect, uh, respond, and recover, but also uh, we share our findings uh, with the uh, community so other customers and vendors can improve uh, their capabilities. So, so this is uh, really important. The article basically goes into explaining how different capabilities such as Microsoft Edge and Smart Screen can be used to protect uh, services and, and, and Windows overall to also how our services like Defender are uh, using detection capabilities uh, to protect and help um, recover uh, if a customer is uh, attacked with this campaign. The next news that I wanted to share is that this is uh, the fourth consecutive uh, year that Microsoft 365 led the Mitre Ingenuity uh, Independent Attack uh, Enterprise Evaluation. Uh, basically, we successfully surfaced uh, Security Operations Center comprehensive incident uh, for each of the simulated attacks that were performed. In the spirit of a Zoom compromise, yes, uh, we provide the capabilities to protect. But um, what uh, this shows is how we understand that it is important to detect fast and respond as fast as possible. And we enable that by, uh, by interconnecting our products. So in a near real time, uh, we could control the damage that attack attackers may do and recover from them. So by doing so, the article, which was named Microsoft 365 Defender, demonstrate industry leading protection in the 2022 MITRE Ingenuity attack evaluations. And it's in the Microsoft blog. You will see where Microsoft 365 demonstrated complete technique coverage across uh, attacks such as Wizard Spider and Sandworm. It basically, they were leveraging artificial intelligence uh, adaptive protection. And um, you see like the attack chain and how we were protecting those different attacks. Last, I wanted to mention uh, the new unified Microsoft uh, SIM uh, GitHub uh, community. This is a, a good way that uh, Microsoft is uh, providing a lot of information uh, that uh, show um, our efforts across SEMA and XDR, uh, basically to enable the SOC team to centrally discover the latest hunting queries, analytics uh, that can be used uh, both in Microsoft uh, Sentinel and Defender. 
So the first uh, news item I have is we now have some new VM types under the Azure Confidential Computing banner that use NVIDIA GPUs. Now, the nice thing about this is that if you want to use the GPUs to accelerate uh, artificial intelligence research, we can do it under these confidential compute VMs. So you know, historically, we have these VMs. They run you know, with various uh, uh, types of CPU. Um, well, now we've included uh, NVIDIA GPUs as well. And for those of you who are not aware, you can write code that runs across all the hardware threads um, of the GPU to sort of parallelize the, uh, parallelize the work. Um, so it's great to see that. Next one is Azure Data Explorer. So we talked about Azure Data Explorer a few a few months ago, and it's a way of offloading, uh, for example, uh, you know, massive logs to something that's a little bit more cost effective in the long term. Uh, you know, that is Azure Data Explorer. Well, now we've had conditional, we've added conditional access support um, to uh, Azure Data Explorer. That's great to see because obviously that you know log files can contain um, sensitive information. So now we can apply uh, conditional access policies. Uh, so, for example, if someone comes in and some condition exists, someone wants to read this data, then you know they may be prompted for MFA, as an example. Next one is Azure Load Balancer now allows you to manage port forwarding for the backend pool. Gonna be honest with you here. Um, I understand what it all means, but I don't necessarily understand you know exactly what's you know why. But managed port forwarding is now available in Azure Load Balancer at the back end pool. So for those of you who care about that, yeah, you're welcome. Um, ne- this, now this next one I do thoroughly understand, and I'm very very happy to see this. Um, there's a kind of attack called called a dangling DNS problem. And without going into all the horrible details, I will provide some links um, in the show notes. But because in, in Azure, and same in other cloud platforms as well, you know, you're bringing services up you know, because of the whole agility of the cloud. You're bringing services up, you're tearing them down, you're bringing them up, you're tearing them down. Then if you apply a DNS name to that, well, that DNS name may actually live longer than the service exists. And unfortunately, that opens it up to potential hijacking of that, of that name. Um, and an attacker could actually take on um, you know, essentially direct the uh, DNS name to their IP address. And uh, Microsoft Defender for DNS will actually pick up on this um, as, as a potential issue. However, um, as an extra layer of defense, we now have this ability to have DNS reservations. So what that means is the DNS names can actually hang around for a lot longer. So you can actually register a DNS name and if you bring a service up, pull it down, bring it up, pull it down, whatever, um, the DNS name will basically you know, be associated um, with that particular service for a, for a much longer time. And that helps. It really does in- improve your security um, posture substantially. Um, these the DNS, uh, DNS issues can lead to what are often referred to as subdomain um, takeover. This can lead to things like cookie harvesting, phishing campaigns, um, cross-site scripting, cross-site request forgery, cause bypass, and even loss of control over the contents of that subdomain. So it's actually a pretty serious attack. But yeah, so one, you know, Microsoft Defender for, for DNS will help catch this, but also we now have something a little bit more concrete in place as well. The next one is about Azure Monitor Logs. I don't want to go into this in too much detail because there's actually a lot of announcements here. And again, I'll, I'll include the, show, the links in the show notes. There's been a lot of feedback from customers around how they can optimize their spend um, with logging. I've seen customers using, um, let's just say, not particularly cost-effective mechanisms for storing their log files. And there's lots of options that we have. 
But essentially what we're doing here is providing even more options for people to store logs in uh, long-term storage, you know, storage in such a way that it's optimized just, just for querying. So that's all available today. Uh, again, links in the show notes, but if you're finding you've got big log files and perhaps the cost of retaining and querying those log files you know, is something that's of concern to you, then, then take a look at this. Uh, we've basically made a whole bunch of options available to you. And the last one is kind of interesting. So a good friend of mine, um, Ian Helen, and he and I have worked worked together for a long time over the years, um, and he works on the Mystic Pi team. So we talked about Mystic Pi some months ago as well, and Mystic Pi is a Python library that basically contains some cybersecurity tools for hunting and investigation uh, using Jupyter Notebooks. Well, Ian has actually made available a course up on Pluralsight. Uh, it's only a short course, uh, but well worth looking at if Mystic Pi is something you're looking at using or you know kicking the tires on. Then uh, you know if you already have a Plural Site subscription, then uh, go and take a look at um, Ian's class. All right, now we got the news out of the way. Uh, let's turn our attention to our guest uh, this week. We have our very first repeat guest. It's Thomas Weiss from the Cosmos DB team. Hey, Thomas, thank you so much for joining us this week. For our listeners who didn't hear the first podcast, would you care to introduce yourself? Well, absolutely. Thanks, uh, everyone, and thanks for having me. So uh, I'm Thomas Weiss. Uh, I actually used to be a Cosmos DB PM. I joined the Cosmos DB team uh, close to three years ago. Uh, I used to be a PM focusing on a flurry of different feature areas, security being one of them. Uh, the move that happened recently for me is that I migrated to a new database platform, security and governance team. Uh, what that means is, well, technically, I, I changed titles and managers, but you know, my day-to-day duties are pretty much the same. I am looking after security all around uh, for Cosmos DB, and I'm leading the delivery of any new security features on that uh, on that great platform. So I'm going to get my question in um, before Michael starts geeking out, and I don't have a chance to get a word in. Um, so um, tell me, tell, me uh, tell us about um, some of the the big changes that have happened since uh, since last we spoke on the on the podcast. Yeah, well, so much has happened. Let me tell you, you know, it's been 18 months, I think, and uh, you know, we obviously never stop either introducing new security controls or improving existing security controls. And I think one big driver for us is to try to catch up with uh, our big brother that is that is SQL, right? Th- those guys, they have, you know, uh, two, two to three decades uh, head start. And uh, uh, actually, it's nice for them to give us the t- security charter, right? Because they they kind of pave the way on you know, what, what, is, what is next that we should tackle. And among those things that, you know, SQL has introduced a while back and that we were lacking, was support for client-side encryption, what is called always encrypted on SQL. This is something that we identified as a gap uh, as customers were progressively reaching out to us, the Cosmos DB team saying, look, uh, that that thing is great on SQL and uh, this is is something that I would need on Cosmos DB as well, right? They they were looking for some kind of uh, column-level encryption, uh, which obviously doesn't directly translate to Cosmos DB because being a document database and and a schema-agnostic database, there is no concept of column per se. Uh, essentially, we understood that what customers were looking for is, is property-level encryption, right? So it, it was it was a, an amazing journey for us to start engaging with those customers, understanding really the, their, their requirements end-to-end, and also engaging with our SQL friends, right? Because it, it would have been crazy for us to tackle that by ourselves. And so uh, the delivery of Always Encrypted on Cosmos DB is the result of a, of a very, you know, a kind of landmark collaboration between the, the Cosmos DB and the SQL teams. We collaborated on a design. Our SQL friends reviewed our design and made sure that, you know, it, it made sense. And we always, we, we, 
even collaborated uh, very, you know, uh, very technically in that uh, we actually ended up sharing code, right? And so the, the the code that is running in our drivers to provide all this encrypted to our customers is the is pretty much the exact same code that is running on the SQL drivers. Okay? Uh, and and I think what's interesting, a quick note for our listeners is that uh, the 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 way today Cosmos DB encrypts data through client and encryption is pretty much cipher text compatible with always encrypted on uh, on SQL. So that, that that's how far we, we took it. Um, we introduced uh, that public preview uh, a while back. I think it was a build last year, sometimes in the May timeframe. Uh, we got great customer uh, uh, feedback and, and response, a lot of uh, uh, you know, high profile customers for which you know it is very important to put an extra level and extra layer of encryption on top of uh, extra sensitive data. Those customers uh, obviously we're very keen to get started. Uh, we went through that preview program uh, with, um, with, with some changes we, we brought to the API based on the feedback we, we, we got from the customers. And I'm more than happy to share that actually we were able to make that feature generally available uh, the last month. And so this is now available for all our customers with production support. And I think that's an important point is the, the resulting Cypher suite is the exact same Cypher suite as, as SQL Server, right? Which is the... Um, AEAD, um, two, uh, yeah, AES 256, HMAC SHA, SHA 256. So, which is kind of funny, right? Because it's not really always encrypted at all. It's actually always protected, right? Because the encryption is provided by AES, but there's also an HMAC in there that also makes sure the data has not been tampered with. That's right. That's right. So, <clears throat> when you say it's the same data format as, like, the same ciphertext format as SQL Server, does that mean in theory that I could? Say pull some data out of SQL Server without decrypting it, like say bulk bulk export it, and then you know through some you know some some code or something you know turn that into a JSON document without decrypting anything and then insert it into Cosmos DB. So te- technically, you can. This is not something that today we support as a a turnkey feature, uh, and we haven't documented that to to, to be honest. Uh, it is on our charter to provide that level of uh, interoperability to our customers at some point. Uh, we we just you know set the foundations for that to happen. Uh, we need to make some improvements on the tooling that would let our customers move the data around. Uh, but but yeah, technically, I mean, we, we have done it, you know, in our labs, and, and, and it works. Uh, now the next step for us is to productize that support, uh, and which is something we, we are going to work on. Yeah, so it's in, I mean, it's impossible to talk about always encrypted in Cosmos DB without comparing and contrasting with SQL Server, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. just, again, to your point, you know, they've had a, a massive head start. Um, actually, there's pros and cons to that, right? I mean, from a from a pro perspective, um, you know, it's mature technology. From a com perspective, you know, SQL Server has this, you know, internal access model that bears no resemblance to anything that Azure knows about. And so you've got to end up, you know, sort of mapping Azure identities and Azure access control models, um, yeah. you know, to work inside of SQL Server where you guys were born in the cloud, right? So you, yep. you understand that from day one. Yep. Absolutely, but that, that said, uh, Michael, I, I think uh, it's no it's no coincidence or no no yeah no surprise that we named the feature uh, you know always encrypted as well because essentially for our customers the same approach it's the same concepts right in that we let customers create what we call encryption policies at the container level uh, so with those encryption policies customers can say I want you know property one to be always encrypted with key one. Uh, in you know in in a deterministic fashion, and I want property two to always be encrypted with key two in a randomized fashion. Okay, so when the customer creates those Cosmos DB containers, we give them uh, we give them that option to um, define and provide that uh, encryption policy. And also the way keys are handled 
is very similar to what, what happens on SQL always encrypted in that we let our customers create uh, data encryption keys at the database level. Uh, those data encryption keys are uh, themselves wrapped with a customer managed key that our customers today can manage from Key Vault. Uh, and, and so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the same security guarantees uh, are provided today on Cosmos DB in that when customers encrypt data with uh, always encrypted, they are guaranteed that we, Cosmos DB as a service, we never ever see the plain text data. And not only that, but we never ever see the plain text data encryption keys, right? And so for customers who want to have that guarantee that, that there is absolutely no way for a, a Microsoft or a Cosmos DB operator to, to uh, eventually you know, decrypt that data, that, that's a guarantee that comes with the, with the feature. Yeah, that's an important point. And that's something that I certainly talk about heavily with customers is, you know, heaven forbid, but in the case of, say, an environment being compromised, and you know, Cosmos DB, an environment being compromised, Cosmos DB doesn't have the keys. I mean, it, right. the attacker is just going to get ciphertext. The, the key is not there. I mean, it's not like, you know, I can go and get the key and do it. No, the key is not there. I can't convince Cosmos DB to decrypt it. It doesn't have the key. It doesn't have access to the key at all. It's a, it is client-side encryption, right? So it's the clients that have access to the key, and the RBAC policies will restrict access you know, through the through the client, um, rather than Cosmos DB having access, and it's interesting because you know, a lot of customers have a they kind of have to stop and think about that. It's like, yeah, Cosmos DB is not doing the encryption or the decryption. It's all being done by the Cosmos DB client drivers, not by Cosmos DB itself, and that includes some kinds of queries, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, th- th- there is. We did our best to let our customers uh, leverage the, the full spectrum of uh, database operation when they are using uh, always encrypted. That said, there were some limitations that today we had to, to introduce, and those limitations mainly impact the queryability uh, when customers want to filter on encrypted properties. For our listeners who are familiar with encryption, they will probably understand that without any support for you know secure enclaves like like SQL has today, today the only filter construct that we support are equality filters, you know, meaning that if uh, I have defined an encryption pro- policy where property one is encrypted and is encrypted in a deterministic fashion, then it is possible for our customers to write a query where you know property one equals ABC. Okay? That, 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 that's totally supported. Anything more fancy, any, I think fancier, like you know, uh, uh, range queries, you know, starts with things like that today, we cannot support. Uh, because that would require, you know, uh, having a support secure enclaves or some kind of confidential computing, which which is something that's definitely on our radar. It is on our backlog. But I would add that, you know, that those constraints today they, they probably impact you know, a, a class of, of workloads that couldn't be today translated to to, to always encrypted. But uh, we we need to keep in mind that there is a very large spectrum of workloads for which those constraints would still be still be absolutely fine. Uh, we do have. A fair amount of customers who are actually using Cosmos DB as a key value store, right? The only thing they do are document lookups, okay? and, and for those operations, you know, no problem at all. Um, and and uh, our our situation and our position today is that we GA'd uh, that that first milestone, that first uh, iteration of always encrypted. Now we are just opening our ears, right, and, and listening to customers. And, and if we if we have uh, substantial feedback from customers saying, "Look, I'm blocked because you know I need range queries or I need things that today are not are not possible." This this is how we are going to fuel uh, the, the next iteration and how we are going to improve the feature. You know, it's kind of funny, right? It, and I've had these conversations with the customers as well. Here you've got, you know, you look at the job of a database, right? It's to, it's to, it's to query stuff. It's to, disc- you know, it's to, to get data. And then the whole point of encryption is to not get data, right? That's, <laughs> that's the whole point. So here we've got these two things that are absolute opposite ends of the spectrum. 
And the fact that we're actually doing something in the middle that will, you know, that will actually allow you to do queries, even a, a substantially small, I should say, mm-hmm. subset of queries, which basically is equality or inequality. The fact that you can do anything at all over ciphertext without decrypting it yeah. is pretty cool. I mean, you know, I customers say, well, you know, well, can I just turn on always encrypted and, and everything will just work? It's like, no, it probably won't work because you probably have some SQL queries that, as you say, are like things like range queries, right? Mm-hmm. Something between the 1st of September and the 3rd of September. It, it's not going to work, right? Because you're doing the query over ciphertext. But the fact that you can do some kinds of queries, especially over, you know, super sensitive data, that's just... Uh, that's just fantastic. I mean, I'm just, and, and I've seen people um, essentially change their schema slightly to accommodate for, for this so that they can actually do some kinds of queries. But yeah, you know, this is a great example, you know, as we talk about in our confidential computing um, literature, you know, this is encryption of data while it's in use. And so we're actually using it and querying it. And it's just fantastic to see Cosmos DB, you know, adopt this, uh, adopt this technology, which is, uh, has been in SQL Server for a while. But as you also point out, SQL Server has been around for you know for longer, and they also have the secure enclave um, technology, which allows them to do more types of queries because the query engine runs in a secure enclave. Which is, for those of you not aware, so a secure enclave in the sort of Azure confidential compute world is uh, takes advantage of virtual machines that run um, specific Intel CPUs that have what are called software guard extensions. And essentially, what we do is we corner off at the CPU level a chunk of memory, and then the the query engine runs inside that little enclave. That's why it's called an enclave. So that is not available today in Cosmos DB, but it's something like you say, you're sort of listening to customers, see if it's of, uh, of interest to them. Absolutely, absolutely. That that's our current situation, and, and and that technical solution is is complex, right? Let, let's say it from an implement, implementation standpoint, it's a huge effort for to, to embrace uh, contingent computing and enclaves to to add additional query support, and that, that's why we are cautious, right? We don't want to engage work that actually our customers wouldn't be necessarily interested in. Uh, so yeah, anyone you know listening here. Uh, if you think that uh, you would need additional support, uh, by all means, you know, funnel, funnel that feedback to the Cosmos DB team, and, and and we'll take action on that. So Cosmos DB can talk multiple uh, air quote languages, um, you know, MongoDB, SQL, um, Cassandra, and so on. Is this limited to the SQL drivers, or uh, can other drivers handle it as well? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. So today we have a G8 always encrypted on our SQL API or core slash SQL API, okay, which is the native API, the API that we control, right? Uh, now having support for client side encryption on uh, on the other platforms involves that involves support for the backend features that that lets the client do that encryption, right? Uh, and and I'm glad you bring it up, uh, Michael, because uh, for example, MongoDB. Uh, had the support for uh, what I think they call field-level encryption uh, on their drivers for some time. And uh, for some time, actually, we, we couldn't support that in our MongoDB-compatible API because we were missing support for some backend-level features that the drivers are leveraging in order to deliver a field-level encryption. But with our latest uh, iterations and our um, latest versions, we now support that. What that means that uh, Cosmos DB users that use the MongoDB compatible API that want to use the, the vanilla field level encryption that comes with the MongoDB drivers now can do that as well. Yeah, as long as people understand that and they, they understand uh, you know, some of the limitations. Are, are there any other limitations like what sort of data can be encrypted or the particular types of data that can't be encrypted? No, when it comes to uh, our MongoDB API, we, we, we support you know, the, the, the full range of what field level encryption can do. 
not 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 uh, supporting enclaves, you know, will come with the same limitation when it comes to the type of queries. But in terms of data types, uh, we we you know whatever you can do on MongoDB can also be done uh, through our MongoDB compatible API. But that is separate technology, though, right? It's not always That's encrypted. Right. Okay. No, it, no, it it is well, it is part of the vanilla MongoDB drivers, right? So yeah, it is it's not always encrypted. So if you're so if you're a MongoDB person using Cosmos DB, you'll be familiar with that. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really exciting stuff. I'm. Uh, Actually, I don't even know or not, Thomas, but last week, we, well, the last time we did the podcast, we had no news on purpose so that Mark could actually talk about his um, his stuff. Um, but I couldn't help it because Cosmos DB had just GA'd, always yes. encrypted. So I'm like, well, you know what? We have no news, but hey, you know what? I'm going to talk about this one thing anyway, <laughs> um, even if it means stealing some time from Mark. But uh, yeah, this is really exciting stuff. I'm, I'm such a fan of it. It, it allows... Some uh, some really interesting zero trust environments as well because Cosmos DB doesn't have access to the keys. Right. You got strong auditing of the keys, you know, or the key encryption keys at least, you know, and uh, as your key vault. I just think it's a it's a fantastic solution. Great to see it. Fantastic engineering, not elegantly simple as well, which is not, mm-hmm. not, not to mean that it's easy, you know, easy to implement, but it's just. Just so elegant. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan. And again, it's not just encryption, right? It's uh, there's an HMAC in there as well, so the data can't be tampered with. Right. So as expected, I uh, sat there listening and learning. Uh, anything uh, else in addition to sort of the always encrypted goodness? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is another thing I, w- I would like to mention. Something that is a bit less new. Uh, something that we introduced last year, but that was another, you know, major. Update to to uh, the security controls that we are exposing on Cosmos DB, and this is the new uh, Azure AD powered uh, data plane RBAC that we introduced for our customers. Uh, that that's a work stream that was initiated based on uh, customer feedback. Uh, customers were so some of our customers, and, and arguably the most security conscious customers, were asking for an alternate way to authenticate their um, their Cosmos DB database operations. Okay, uh, since the beginning, the only uh, authentication that we supported was key-based authentication. Okay, so customers can fetch a, a primary and a secondary key, and those are the keys that they can use uh, when they connect to their Cosmos DB account, which is fine in plenty of use cases. But we had some customers who arguably uh, wanted something different, and, and what we were actually asking for is an Azure AD-based authentication. So that that, that was one requirement that we, that we uh, initially uh, tracked. Uh, the second requirement that came from customers is that they wanted to some kind of uh, granular access control, right? Uh, the, the, another problem that comes with the primary, secondary keys is that you know it, it, it's it's open bar, right? Uh, whoever has the key can can do pretty much anything on the on the account, uh, including management operations. So uh, that that puts a lot of pressure on our customers to uh, handle those keys uh, uh, in the right way, right? And and what I would like to mention here very briefly is that. Although it is extremely convenient to to uh, connect with, with a primary key because again it's just one shared secret that lets you do anything, uh, our our customers and, and our listeners here should should be mindful that uh, you know with with great power comes great responsibility and uh, those keys needs to be handled you know appropriately if you want to have the best security posture and in particular it is a best practice to regenerate and rotate those keys on a regular basis. Uh, this is something that it's it's not an a reflex that that many of our customers have, uh, so we regularly remind our customers that you know it is a best practice when you use key-based authentication to 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 perform those those upgrades uh, now and then. Uh, we are actually uh, that, that's a side note. We are actually introducing new uh, new APIs to let our customers 
query what, what was the date of last generation, rege regeneration for those keys so that they can kind of take action on keys that may be stale. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, that's another feedback we got from the customers, right? Is, uh, they, they would like to have some granular access control and they would like to better configure, configure the client to make sure that client A can only do, you know, a subset of, of operations based on, on their business rules. Uh, and the, the, the third and last requirement, what we were gathering at the time is that uh, our customers were seeking better audit auditability of what's happening on the uh, on the data plane, right? Uh, there are situations where the customer would like to answer questions like, you know, who deleted my data, you know, and when, and and uh, uh, th that those are questions that you just can't answer if uh, if you are using just a, a key as the authentication mechanism because anyone could be using that key. So it is based on uh, that customer feedback that you have that we have built that uh, brand new data plane RBAC. Um, in terms of API, what we did, uh, maybe a bit lazily, but I think that that was the best thing to do anyway. Uh, we copied over the concepts from Azure RBAC uh, uh, because that was a, a, a proven uh, model that has been out there for, for, for quite a while. And so uh, all the typical concepts that you, uh, that you can find on Azure RBAC, like you know, actions that make up a, a permission model, uh, role definitions, role assignments, those are, those are concepts that we carried over uh, the on the Cosmos DB side, and we have introduced new APIs on the control plane, on our control plane, to let our customers do that, right? So now our, what our customers can do is that they can either play with data plane built-in roles. We have a couple of new built-in roles. We have a, a read-only and, and a read-write uh, built-in roles, or that we can also, uh, I mean, we also let our customers craft their own specific roles, and, and customers can, can, can go very specialized in those roles, right? If you, if you want to create a role, to let the client just, you know, insert data and not do anything else, not not even being able to read back the data you have inserted, uh, which makes sense in some scenarios, right? Uh, that's possible now and something that uh, typically wasn't possible at all before. Uh, if you want to create a role that, you know, only lets you uh, read from the change feed, you know, and, and, and nothing else, that that's that's the kind of things you can do now. So you can craft your roles, you can then assign your roles to any kind of Azure AD identity. We support obviously the full spectrum from user principles to service principles, uh, including managed identities, which is something I'm very fond of. And I always recommend our customers to have a, a good look at managed identities. Uh, Azure ID groups, obviously, uh, are also on the spectrum. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's the role assignment part of the, of the workflow. Uh, and then once this is done, obviously, customers can finally upgrade their client connection uh, to use uh, what's called a token credential instead of the of the primary or secondary key and so that that token credential essentially is passed to our drivers and that lets our drivers uh, acquire an uh, azure id token on behalf of the identity that the client wants us to use and then we just use that token to do both the authentication and the authorization of the of the database requests i i know that when i see customers using you know these these essentially these secrets to access cosmos db um, you know, the first question I ask is, so okay, so where are those secrets being stored? I right. don't mean, I don't mean at the back end. I mean, you know, in your applications that have to access these secrets. It's the classic secret hiding problem, right? I mean, I had a conversation yesterday with a customer, and they're like, they're, they're accessing some back end mainframe, and I'm like, so how do you access that? Well, we have an API key. Well, where's the API key? Well, it's stored in this configuration file. Well, where's the configuration file? What's well, over there? Well, how's the API key protected in the configuration file? Well, it's encrypted. So where's the key for the encryption? Well, it's over there. Well, how's that key encrypted? 
and then, and then you can see them all like looking between each other. It's like, how is it? How's the final? You know, how's the key encrypted? It's like, and they didn't know. And the problem it's is, almost right, like it's, like the five whys, but as applied to five hows. <laughs> I know, and 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 I look. I, I understand why it's there. It's been around for a long time, but you know, you you've got to make sure those things are protected, especially the primary keys, right? Because they're used to. I'm sorry if I got the, the name wrong, but the, you know, the, essentially the admin um, yeah. key that lets you get into admin things. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, you know AAD RBAC at the data plane. I don't know if you know or not, but just recently we added that. Recently, probably about a, about a year ago now, we added that in Key Vault as well. Right, they had their own authorization model, and now they've gone to using a, a data plane RBAC model. It's a little harder to configure compared to the old one, but it's also a lot more granular, and you have very strong you know auditing as well that goes in there. So again, you know, it's really great to see. Um, Cosmos DB listening to customers and um, and adding this uh, this functionality. It's good, it's great to see. Hey, you know, there's something else. Um, you guys, or probably not you guys, actually maybe you guys, released Microsoft Defender for Cosmos DB. And by the way, this is completely off script. Oh yeah, that that that's something uh, that that's an effort uh, in collaboration with the the, the, the uh, Microsoft Defender team. Uh, it is not directly uh, worked on by the Cosmos DB team. It is more of a partnership where uh, we we enable. The defender team to implement, uh, you know, those, those threat models and, and threat detections, uh, and and yeah, yeah, I'm I'm also glad to share today that uh, we have very recently kind of rebooted uh, those efforts. This is something that used to be exposed to our customers as a preview under the name of Advanced Threat Protection (ATP). Okay, that probably rings a bell to to some of our listeners here. The the, the ATP team went went through both a renaming, uh, so they, they they renamed to to Microsoft Defender, but also at the same time they took that opportunity to reboot the efforts uh, because uh, until recently, uh, not only was ATP in preview only, but also uh, it was only covering a small set of uh, of, of threats. Right, I think uh, initially what they were covering is. Um, uh, suspicious connections, right? Uh, if, if suddenly you get new connections from IPs that you know you, you've never seen before, from locations that you have never seen before, this is something that Defender used used to uh, uh, cover as part of their preview. And I think they also had a threat detection on uh, data exfiltration, right? If, if suddenly you have massive reads or ma- massive scans across the database, this could be a sign of someone trying to exfiltrate your data to some other place. And so. Um, yeah, for, for quite some time, the preview was running with only those two uh, threats uh, b- being covered. Uh, and so uh, over the past uh, six to nine months, we, we kind of rebooted those efforts. Uh, and and uh, the Defender team has added uh, very interesting new threat detections. They are now detecting uh, key extractions, okay, which is also a, a very common pattern. So they are looking for access to, to, the, to, to those keys that we just mentioned, right, uh, which, which you can fetch through a list keys operation on, on the Cosmos DB control plane. And they try to detect anything suspicious here, right? If suddenly there is a, a new IP or a new identity that, that starts getting the keys, that may that may trigger an alert on, on, on their end. Uh, they are also, and I was actually pleasantly surprised that they managed to, to pull that off. They are also now detecting SQL injections, right? Uh, which uh, which we didn't necessarily think about at the beginning, but uh, uh, especially since the, the SQL dialect that is exposed by, by Cosmos DB is not NC SQL, right? It is, it is kind of a SQL adaptation that uh, that we crafted in order for it to be compatible with uh, the specifics of, of, of JSON. Uh, but yeah, the team managed to actually craft a detection on potential SQL injection. So that, that's another 
great new capability that uh, uh, Defender is now exposing. Um, so all those new detections have been, as I said, relaunched, rebooted in public preview now. Uh, so av available for all our customers to, to try out. And I believe that the Defender team uh, is uh, lining up the GA of uh, Defender for CosmosDB in the next couple of months. I'm a huge fan of Defender. Actually, actually before we, by the way, I want to talk about Defender. I don't mean the video game. I mean Microsoft Defender. <laughs> Although I am actually back in Redmond, I used to have a Defender um, stand-up uh, console, uh, an original one from the from the eighties. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It cost me two thousand dollars worth every penny. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, I actually want to explain something really quickly uh, about the SQL injection stuff because I had a, a conversation with a customer about this a few days ago. I said, is the guy's like, well, hang on a minute. So you got this brand new product, well relatively new product called Cosmos DB, you know, relative to say SQL databases. How come you have SQL injection vulnerabilities? I'm like, well, hang on. It's not as simple as that. This is not a weakness in Cosmos DB. This is a weakness in client-side code where you use string concatenation to build a SQL query where one of the strings comes from an untrusted source. Right. Cosmos DB just sees a SQL query. It doesn't know how it was constructed. It just sees the SQL query. And if it happens to be a SQL injection SQL query, there's not a lot. It doesn't know a good query from necessarily a bad query, you know. So it's really a coding discipline um, at the client. Not it's got nothing to do with, with with Cosmos DB whatsoever. It's not a weakness in Cosmos DB. So I want to make sure everyone's aware of that. You know, if you take, for example, in C sharp, there's a thing called Link um, Language Integrated Query, um, which can also do SQL queries against um, SQL Server. It is actually resilient against SQL injection vulnerabilities, but only because it is a client-side technology and it knows how to construct SQL queries from something that's not actually a real SQL query. So it is resilient to SQL injection vulnerabilities, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden magically SQL Server or Cosmos DB or Oracle or DB2 or anything else is resilient to SQL, SQL injection. Uh, it's got nothing to do with any kind of weakness um, at the back end, but it's great that Defender is is detecting some classes of SQL injection. That's uh, that's really good to see. Well, Thomas, thank you uh, so much for all of that. Uh, I, I always enjoy listening to you talk about about Cosmos DB. It's uh, such a fantastic product. I think probably ninety percent of the customers I work with um, are using Cosmos DB um, in their workloads, which is which is fantastic to see when they have so many options available to them and they're choosing Cosmos DB. Don't tell the SQL guys I said that, by the way. Um, <laughs> So as you know from last time, uh, one thing we ask our guests is uh, if they have one final thought to leave our listeners with, uh, what would it be? Yeah, well, Michael, I would say, you know, we, we have talked about uh, uh, new, new features that are now all generally available. Uh, we believe those features are substantially uh, improving, uh, you know, the, the range of security controls we have on Cosmos DB and help our customers adopt a, a much better security posture. I guess, you know, the call to action is just to, you know, go out there and start using them, especially that new, that, that shiny new uh, support for always encrypted. Uh, as a PM, I do want to hear from our customers. So yeah, by all means, uh, you know, kick the tires, uh, start a quick prototype. Uh, you know, it, it, it's quite easy to get started with the pub our public documentation and feel free to reach out to me if you have any feedback on me. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, I know that you know Cosmos DB is going through some exciting changes, and uh, I know that you're very busy. So again, thank you for joining us this week, and to all our listeners out there, uh, thanks again also for listening. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. 
Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.